Welcome back to Pursuing Justice. I'm Harriet Hendel, and our guest has been with us for our last two programs. She is Christine Bunch of Indiana. She is an exoneree accused of arson and felony murder, and she spent 16 years behind bars for a crime she did not commit. Today, she wants to talk about her nonprofit organization, Justice for Just Us. Tell us why you started this project and what your mission is and the impact of your organization. So, J4J started because when I walked out of prison, I had my prison uniform and a pair of white tennis shoes. No, no toothbrush, no hairbrush, no clothes to put on, no nothing. I mean, literally, I, I left the, the celebration where I was wearing, you know, a, a dress and shoes that my family brought me, and I had nothing to put on but my prison uniform. So um, I quickly realized that there's, there's really no support out there. You know, um, I went in for a reentry program and said, look, you know, I, I feel like I can get a job. I'm, I'm very well educated. I've had a lot of jobs inside the facility. So getting a job isn't an, an issue. I just need some help with my resume because I don't know how I'm going to explain a 16, almost 17-year gap. And she was like, oh, no problem. You can, you know, you can take some classes. And she said, what year were you convicted? And I said, 1996. And she said, I can't find you in the computer. And I said, well, that's because I've been exonerated. Mm -hmm. And she looked at me and said, and you're not eligible. And, and I said, excuse me? Why not? Um, because... You know, those those programs are strictly for people that come out and they're reintegrating after a conviction. So hmm. they're on parole, probation, and those programs are geared toward them. And isn't, isn't that strange to have the benefits given to someone who is guilty of a crime but not to someone who is innocent. Yes. Doesn't, doesn't sound right to me. Right? It doesn't to me either. So yeah. it, it took a while. I mean, when, when I walked out, I, I didn't have a picture ID. I had to go back to my prison two days after my release to get a photo ID to prove who I was. And you're starting all over. I've, I've got no renter's history. I've got no credit score. I've never had a credit card. I barely had a checking account. So there's all these things, these real-world experiences that I haven't had yet. And then I'm dealing with all these changes. I've, I've never had a cell phone. Um, I've never been on the Internet. I don't know anything about self-checkouts, self you know, um, <laughs> All these auto sensors on these new things. I don't know anything about that. So you're trying to get a crash course. And I have a 16, almost 17-year-old son that I'm trying to, I need to take over. I need to be the caregiver. I need to do all these things. So it's really overwhelming 
and you're just, um, you're left out feeling like you don't really fit in and you don't really belong. So it was, it was so hard for me to ask people how to do things because I felt like they were looking at me like you're how old and you don't know how to do this. So the transition was, it was brutal. And a lot of it, I felt like I, I learned on the go. Some things I still feel like I've been home eight years and I still don't know how to do them or I'm not sure. And, um, just fitting in and feeling like you're, you're part of a community. I still don't really feel like that simply because people my age have had different life experiences. So when you go to a gathering, they're talking about mortgages and kids in college and retirement planning. And I'm, I'm thinking, you know, I've, I haven't even bought my first home. So in that moment, you can either lie and fit in with them. Or you can tell the truth and have them look at you like you're from another planet. So it's just not comfortable. So out of that, another exoneree and I started talking about what if we had an organization that really tried to connect people within their community. So J4J, Just Is for Just Us, Inc. was born out of that. And um, we're unique because... If somebody in the community wants to donate services, like eye exam, dental work, um, rent, haircut, anything, <laughs> you can donate to our organizations for an, an exoneree, and I can give you a tax letter for that. So it helps, I think, to educate our communities on what we need. Because I think a lot of people think that an exoneree comes out and they win a big lawsuit and they're fine, but less than 1% win a lawsuit. Mm -hmm. Some states have no compensation. And even in my state, when I say I'm an exoneree, there are still people that say, what is that? <laughs> Amazing. So, yes, it's. It's unbelievable. So I spend a lot of time just engaging with, you know, law schools, different groups, criminal justice classes. And every time I'm invited to go speak, I tell them that within their community, they can beca become a part of J4J. And that doesn't have to be, you know, you, you donate money. <laughs> that doesn't mean you have to donate services. It could just mean that if you have an extra hour, you don't have a problem sitting down with an exoneree and saying, hey, this is how you turn on the computer. This is how you're going to set up your email. This is how you work your cell phone. <laughs> or go someplace with them for the first time because it's scary to get on a bus or take any form of public transportation. You don't know where to go to get your ID and get things set up to register to vote. So to have somebody that understands you're going through a transition and walk you through it, I think that's life-changing. Yeah. Now, I'm confused. Justice for Just Us, or I like the way you call it, J for Day, um, is that just for Indiana? 
So it is not. Um, we have, you know, sent welcome home boxes to Arkansas, um, Texas. We sent one to um, Nebraska. Literally, if somebody tells me, hey, we've got an exoneree coming out and they need, you know, anything, snow boots, winter coat. If it's a woman, my volunteers get really happy because then they get to buy makeup and perfume <laughs> and little things that yeah. they think, oh, you know, I'm a girl and I would want to try that when I got out. And then we send them a welcome home box. The one thing we do not do is send out cash. We just don't have enough coming in. So we've done welcome home boxes. We've helped take exonerees to the Innocence Conference. Hmm. We have stepped in and sent out gift cards for clothes. We have gotten um, assistance for interview prep and resumes. We have paid electric bills or a heating bill, you know, because sometimes things happen and you just run short. So when somebody reaches out, I figure out where they are because there aren't that many exoneree support organizations. Two are in California. So if they're on the West Coast, then I refer them to the other organizations out there. And um, obviously, you know, if there's nothing they can do in their immediate area, I refer them to the Innocence Project organization within their state and let them know, you know, there's ways to support the exonerees in your state, but there's also ways you can step up and help the Innocence Project if you choose to do that. They always need help with new legislation, people being willing to make calls and, you know, talk to legislators about what needs to happen for wrongful convictions. So, I mean, there's a variety of work to do, and we want to connect people with the place that they can fit in and help the most. Now, how, how do you find, how do you learn about an exoneree, and are I assume it's men and women that you're not just focused on women exonerees, correct? Correct. It is men and women. Um, I mean, for the most part, I'm, I know quite a few people within the Innocence Network. I mean, um, since I've been out, I've been speaking on panels I have been traveling around to different places to educate communities, law classes. I have done fire science symposiums. And I'm also a speaker for the Innocence Project on their Speakers Bureau. So a lot of the times lawyers know who I am and they will reach out and say, hey, we've got somebody that's getting ready to come home. We want to help. And um, when I go speak, to different places. I mean, I went to Bay Path University in Massachusetts and their entire school and the surrounding community people said, hey, any exoneree that comes out in this area, our, our school wants to support them and help them with the transition. So people sign up with me and when I hear somebody is getting out or I see that, hey, we've got a new exoneration, I reach out and say, do we need anything? What can we do? Now, if somebody listening um, would want to help, how, how, how would they do that? Let's say they don't live, you know, in Indiana. They live 
somewhere else. Um, how would they be able? I, I like I liked when you said um, just helping someone figure out how to turn on a computer or just navigating all the things a cell phone does, most of which I know nothing about. So, you know, uh, I'm not, I'm in that category too. Um, but how, how would somebody help an exoneree if they wanted to do these, as you say, these very small things, but they're, they're very significant? Absolutely. Well, if you are not in an area that, J4J is, is working in or has com community connections within that state, then I would refer you to the Innocence Project within that state. And most of the time, each state has a law school that has a clinic, and they have worked to bring people home. So when you go in and fill out the information, they can connect you with community volunteers that are working to help support exonerees as they come out so it doesn't ha necessarily have to be your volunteering through j4j or uh -huh. any of the other organizations you can simply go right to the website and say you know innocence project i don't know virginia and they have a contact form fill out that contact form and say look i'm i'm willing to help be a community support person for an exoneree Hmm. Hmm, that's a good idea. Now, how um, how did you actually form J4J? Was it difficult? Was there a lot of red tape? To it is a nonprofit, I, I assume, right? It is a nonprofit. We have our five hundred one c three, and um, most of that paperwork is the original paperwork that I figured out how to do via YouTube. Hmm. Uh, because <laughs> that's fantastic. <laughs> you know, I'm I'm just learning. I've never had an organization, and I certainly never thought I would start one. Right. But um, I figured it out, and I was I was lucky. I mean, I I called a place called Foundation Group, and explained who I was and what I was trying to do. And I said, I really can't afford anything, but I need some help. I want to make sure that my paperwork goes through because. If they don't approve it the first time, the second time, they're a little more critical. And so they reduced fees and said, we've never had an organization like yours, and we would be willing to help. So they went over my paperwork with me, and we made sure we had all our I's dotted and T's crossed. And the paperwork was submitted, and within six months, we had our 501c3. Boy, that was fast. Now, who, who did you begin with to create an organization like this? Where do you start? Uh, well, you start with, um, you know, kind of getting your mission statement together. And um, ours was simply, you know, we're building community. That's it. And um, then you, you put together a board of directors you decide what every single person is going to do. You put together your bylaws, you know, what you want to do, what you're hoping to move into in the future. And then you write up your 501c3 paperwork that you're going to take in-kind donations, which is virtually most of what we get. I mean, I'm, I'm lucky sometimes if we get donations so I can keep up with the website and all the little extra stuff we do, like postage and that kind of thing. 
Um, most of our stuff is an in-kind donation, and so it comes in and it goes directly out to an exoneree. What does that mean, an in-kind donation? So um, a dentist in my area is willing to donate a dental exam to an exoneree. So they would send me an invoice stating they are donating that amount to j for j I file it as a donation with my paperwork, and they get a tax letter for that donation. Oh, fantastic. And what's your role in J4J? Um, right now, I am the executive director. And so I have a couple other female exonerees and um, some community people on my board of directors. And um, during COVID, things have been um, really hard. We've had a lot of more exonerees reach out, and they just need somebody to talk to because it's been so isolating. Yeah. And um, so we're finding ways that we can branch off and try to do a mentoring program. I think it would be great if we can match up exoneree to exoneree and then hopefully build on that, and we could do family member support for people that are exonerated. Because I, I know it's been a process with my family just um, trying to figure me out after so long in prison. Well, that's, that's fantastic. What a, what a wonderful idea. And when exactly did you um, form uh, J4J? J4J has been up a little over three years now. Three years. Wow. And have, have you seen an expansion of the need for an organization like that over those three years? Absolutely. I mean, as um, more and more people learn about it and realize, hey, I can do something, I can give back. Um, I mean, it's it's just really exploded because some some exonerees are, are really isolated. You know, they don't live near anybody close, you connect at the Innocence Network conference, and because of COVID, we didn't have that, and so seeing our, our family members, I always call that my family reunion, because mm-hmm. that's what it feels like, you know, I'm, I'm with my family, and that's the people that get me, and we have a good time, and we learn a lot, and we get to really support each other. So, um, so many people have reached out, you know, they're just, they're having a rough time and, you know, it's, I feel like I'm in a different kind of prison and I can't see anybody and I'm worried about getting sick and I'm afraid and, you know, how, how are we going to do this? And so I think now it's, um, finding ways that we can offer emotional support as well as, you know, the little things. So we're trying to find ways that we can do that and make sure that we're meeting the needs. But, I mean, when you open this up, a lot of people just reach out and tell me, you know, my daughter's wrongfully convicted, my son's wrongfully convicted, my uncle's wrongfully convicted. So you receive a lot of emails, and I tell them, hey, this is your local Innocence Project. Mm -hmm. You should reach out to them. Yeah. And, and there's, there's just so many cases they can take. Um, the letters that Innocence Project of Florida gets, I think it totals uh, 1,200 
something like that uh, a year. And and how can they? We've only got two lawyers. How how many cases can they handle at once? It's just not possible. But your your organization, would you say? Um, how or I should say ask you how how many are doing something similar to you in our country? <laughs> so we have um, two organizations in California. One is After Innocence, and that's run by a, a lawyer, John Elbin. I interviewed him. He was a guest a, a few months ago on the program. Wonderful, yeah. wonderful man. Yeah. He's focused on, you know, the medical insurance, you know, how we can take care of people medically because we don't get good Mental health, medical, dental, any of that while we're in a way. So really trying to hit hit those needs when we come out. That's what After Innocence does. Um, The other organization is Exonerated Nation, and they are in California as well. And so they help out with exonerees. Their organization is different than mine because they also legislate for new legislation in California for the exonerees there. And J for J, we do not legislate. Are you telling me that that's it? That's it. That's it. Most of these people that come out, Mm. um, thank God for the lawyers Mm. that look out for them when they come home. There are lawyers that do that. I, I was not aware of that. I know that Innocence Project of Florida, we have a full-time social worker, and that's his job yes. to help with that transition. But not that many Innocence Projects can afford a full-time social worker. So um, so there's a what you're highlighting here, Christine, is there's a tremendous need for the kind of thing that you're doing. Yes, Tremendous, yeah. And it it doesn't sound like it's that difficult to create an organization like that if you really want to do it. So maybe you'll spark an idea in in some listener's head and say, you know, this this is something that is greatly needed and uh, maybe we should try to uh, to form a group. So, so not much. It looks, sounds like there's a desert on the, on the eastern seaboard here. So you have California, you have you, and and that's about it. That's, that's not right. much. No, not yeah. much. All right. Well, we are just about out of time, and we have another program that you will be coming back to talk to us about. And that will be our final visit with you. So thank you so much for telling us about Justice for Just Us, because this organization really is doing wonderful, wonderful work. Um, and I, I'm just so glad you you started it. And I, I wish that um, there were more of you. And we, we should make copies of you, <laughs> carbon copies, right? Xerox copies. All right, so we will we will be looking forward to our final conversation with you next time on Pursuing Justice. Please tune in. And if you've missed any of the prior programs, please begin at the beginning with Christina's story 
and follow um, you know the programs in the order with, uh, that we have had them. We put them in that order. All right, good to have everyone with me today. This is Harriet Handel at Pursuing Justice, and see you next time. Thank you.